Ви слухаєте дуже цікавий музичний подкаст класичної музики. You've done 18 productions of Electra. Yeah, as Electra, yeah. So you love the role? I certainly do, yes. Why? I don't oh, know it. I don't know the one. It's the most perfect one hour and 40 minutes of your, you know, it has everything. As the character, you have everything of Electra. You have vulnerability, you have anger, you have incredible pathos. Um, she's a wild creature... She's got the most fantastic music that goes from pianissimo to fortissimo. Um, it's a fantastic acting role. Um, it's just a thrill, and it's a marathon to sing. Um, and you have to be really in shape to do it and in training. And it is, it's like standing at the foot of Everest. When, when the first chord starts, you know, nine times out of ten, you're never going to leave the stage ever until the end. Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra under the direction of its chief conductor Kirill Karabitz with Catherine Foster as Electra and Susan Bullock as Clytemnestra will perform Richard Strauss's opera Electra, a brutal tale of revenge, at Poole Lighthouse on the 18th of March and Birmingham Symphony Hall on the 21st of March. Electra, first performed in 1909, is a challenging work for performer, audience and musician, one hour 45 minutes of wall-to-wall music in which characters are pushed to their emotional limits. There's a lot of blood and a lot of death. What's not to love? Reading over the handful of books that I still possess from my university days, those books that discuss Strauss's and other operas from the 20th century, I'm reminded how Electra was a key work for me in my student days in understanding opera as an art form. Strauss's compositional style, the decision-making around the use of particular keys for particular characters, the use of music patterns to denote themes, ideas or characteristics, perhaps not new. Other composers had done some of that stuff before Strauss. But I'm reminded that at that point, when I read it about Strauss, it kind of made sense. Everything came together. It wasn't until I studied Strauss that everything that had gone before and everything that followed slowly began to make sense to me. It was then when I studied Electra and Strauss's other operas back in the spring of 1994 that I finally understood and believed that key choices and leitmotifs and orchestration were deliberate decisions. As such, Strauss's Electra legitimised the writings I had to study as a student. Electra laid bare the creative process. That study fitted in nicely with what was to follow, laying the foundations for the study of 20th century music and my particular favourite, the avant-garde. The study of music no longer seemed like hot air or meaningless pap, peddled by self-indulgent academics by the time I got my head around studying Electra. This startling revelation arrived just in time for my finals in 1994, better late than never. What surprises me listening to this podcast back is that at the time of recording it, I thought I didn't know the work. I said as much to Susan Bullock, as you heard. What I realise now is that I'd just never seen it. I'd only studied it. Therein lies the rub. Studying provided me with a gateway to understanding the art form. 
but I needed to see a production for its true impact to be felt and for it to be ingrained in my consciousness, I suspect. What I especially enjoyed listening back to this conversation between Kirill Karabitz and Susan Bullock were the ideas or questions that arose afterwards for me. The idea of the life cycle of art creation, the stages that conductor and singer have to go through in preparing for a work like a lecture, both in the run-up to and after a production. Then there's the different roles both play in the production, conductor is supporter and enabler, singers and a lecturer in particular taking and perhaps even being consumed by the craziness of the part. I leave this podcast playback with the idea of the work being a beast in and of itself, a sort of three-dimensional monster that demands the world and consumes everything in its path every time the score is opened. I like that idea. Quite some achievement on Strauss's part. I'm Susan Bullock, I'm a soprano, and in this production I'm singing Clytemnestra. Can you tell me three surprising things about you, please, Susan Bullock? Three surprising things about me, well, one of them might be that uh, until last year I've sung Electra in 18 different productions, so this is my second production as Clytemnestra, but the 20th production of Electra. Um, I've just bought two tickets to go and see Tom Jones in concert because I think he's fantastic um, and I support Welsh rugby uh, you <laughs> Yay! Welsh rugby I know nothing about rugby 2-0 to Italy on Saturday Is that what happened on Saturday? Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks for bringing me up to speed You've done 18 productions of Electra Yeah, as Electra yeah. So you love the role I certainly do, yes Why? I don't oh, know it. It's, I don't know the it's the most perfect yeah, 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 yeah. one hour and 40 minutes of your, you know, it has everything. As the character, you have everything of electric. You have vulnerability, you have anger, you have incredible pathos. Um, she's a wild creature. She's got the most fantastic music that goes from pianissimo to fortissimo. Um, it's a fantastic acting role. Um, it's just a thrill and it's a marathon to sing um, and you have to be really in shape to do it and in training and it is, it's like standing at the foot of Everest when, when the first chord starts you know nine times out of ten you're never going to leave the stage ever until the end It doesn't hang about when, when, it, no. when it gets underway it doesn't really hang about does it? And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real night's work Clytemnestra however on the other hand is a sort of 20-minute scene, but what are 20 minutes? Again, a crazy, disturbed character with um, all sorts of layers to her and um, paranoia, and you know. So it's one of those sort of tale, tales of everyday folk, really. You know? yeah. <laughs> really great. You're yeah. really serious. Um, you've obviously had some time to prepare because you know what I'm about to ask you. So first of all, who are you and what do you do, please? <laughs> I'm Kirill Karabitz and I'm chief conductor. Bournemouth Symphony um, and I will be the one who will be helping uh, singers in this marathon as you are, you are merely said. supporting them, you're not directing them Is that I'm mainly see? supporting right, them, yes okay. I'm very magnanimous of you tell me three surprising things about you please sir oh come on you've had time to prepare you, 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 come along now um, um, 
This is my 11th season with the Bournemouth Symphony. Yeah, it's not surprising that's in your biography. <laughs> so you go, come, um, on, come on now, come on. I don't watch sports. You don't? No. Oh, great, we're going to get on. <laughs> and uh, I'm returning to Paris, uh, to my home, right. after a wonderful experience with Beethoven symphonies in London. Uh, what, ha- what Beethoven have you seen where? Is that the Halle at the barbecue? I have conducted uh, myself Symphony Number no. 1 and 3 okay. uh, yesterday at the Barbican. Obviously, I should have known that. <laughs> I should have done my research. Uh, how was the so experience? Much going, uh, there's so, so much, there's so much Beethoven London. going on at the moment. Uh, how was the experience for you? What did you love about it? Um, just great, great to be there and uh, great to participate in this Beethoven project at the Barbican exciting to bring the orchestra also to London. Uh, who wants to tell me the synopsis of Electra, please, because I don't know it. Who wants to go first? Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention, this is going to be my first Electra. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, the first time I'm going to conduct. That Were you aware of that, Susan? No, that's going to be fantastic. <laughs> right, okay. I think it's important. You've always got to have a, a clean page. It doesn't matter how many times you've done something. You go in and say, right... How do we do it this time? Does that suggest then that seeing as it's your first lecture that Susan should provide us with the synopsis? Is that what you're is that what you're <laughs> thinking? Is that what you're saying? She's uh, done it more than I have, so she should tell is that what you're No, I didn't mean it, but now that you've said it, I'm, I'm Susan. Not... <laughs> <laughs> Give okay. us a synopsis, please. Right. Electra is the daughter of Agamemnon and Clytemnestra. Agamemnon has been killed in his bath by, murdered in his bath by Clytemnestra and Aegist, who is the stepfather. Electra has a sister called Chrysotomis uh, and a brother called Orest, who is not in the picture for a long way through the story. He's been banished. Uh, Electra has also been banished. She has to live outside with the dogs and eat scraps. She doesn't live in the palace because she is hell-bent on getting revenge for her father's death. Uh, The sister, Chrysotomis, is a much more kind of tame character. She just wants to get married and have children and doesn't want any trouble. And she says to Electra, look, drop this idea of revenge because... You're going to ruin my life as well. She's the voice of reason. Kind of the voice of reason. Uh, The mother, Clytemnestra, is tormented by the memory of this murder and she is trying every which way to assuage her guilt. She covers herself in jewels. She thinks they've all got a magic power. You know, she slaughters um, victims and animals to try and get rid of this guilt for killing... uh, um, her husband. She also knows that Electra is very smart, and so she wants Electra to try and help her to get rid of these terrible nightmares. She says, "I can't sleep. I'm, I'm tormented the whole time." And Electra says, "No, sorry, I'm not. I'm not interested." She all Electra wants to know is where her brother is, Orest. Orest was sent away to live with, uh, you know, uh, tutor, and has gone away, and nobody knows where he is. They say he's dead. And then Orest comes back. And between them, they accomplish the the murder of uh, Clytemnestra and also the murder of Aegist, the stepfather. And then Electra dances herself to death at the end of the production. So that's the tale. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm, I'm not wanting to sound flippant, but... Uh, even though it will sound flippant, 
there's a lot of death in it. Why why should we care? Why, why what is its appeal? Why why do people keep coming back to it? Because I'm not here. I don't hear a resolution necessarily. Actually, what I hear is it all ends in death. Well, the res- this is the question, isn't it? I mean, does revenge actually bring resolution? It's all about searching for peace, I think, in inner peace, uh, trying to uh, to find a way to continue in life when life has presented you with these terrible tragedies. And I guess we come back to it because we never find the solution. So there is no peace at the end of it, even even an implicit sense of peace in the audience. That, that do, do you think it reaches that point? I don't think it does really. I think it, everybody comes out of it just feeling like they've been hit by a truck, because it's 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 amazing. I mean, the impact of the just the orchestra sound at the very end. It's you know, it's just just rips your insides out it's fantastic uh, what impact does it have on you in comparison when, when you approach other operas i mean I, I hear i hear passion and enthusiasm and i'm almost like a, a dedication to the work when you talk about it does that Anything mean else apart from the works of wagner feel you just feel like well when is it gonna get going <laughs> it's and then it, kick in. Yeah, <laughs> you know you do and it, it sounds awful it just this has such a it makes you crazy and that's why I now sing Clytemnestra, because I did so many years singing Electra that actually these thoughts, to think these thoughts on a regular basis is actually quite disturbing. Um, I don't think Clytemnestra is any less <laughs> disturbing now, actually. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but yeah. Uh, you know... I mean, there's gener- no comic relief no, in the opera. No, 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 no. No, there's a moment of slight sort of Viennese waltzy uh, teasing when Electra has a... When she lures a gist to his death, and the, the music changes and has this kind of almost qual- Viennese quality, a very sort of elegant, and she's 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 a clever girl. She's an actress. She can get what she wants. She's a manipulator. Yeah, I mean, everything else. When you've done this for twenty years, everything else just feels small in terms of impact. You know. How long did it take? before you noticed uh, a change in you when you'd moved away from playing Electra? I mean, it was like six months a year. I sang it in 2016 uh, in Prague. Uh, and I think, yeah, after about a year, I thought, right, she's gone out of my system now. And it was, yeah, it's some, it, it goes around your, in your head like a, just looking at the score on the table here, it's going in my head now. It's like somebody flicks a switch. Somebody get her some tea, please. (laughs) Oh, no, you've got coffee. Okay. Uh, It's your first time doing this. Do you you recognise a lot of what Susan describes? I can imagine, yes. I can imagine what it is to sing that role. It must be an overwhelming experience just to... uh, just the amount of singing and the intensity of singing and the emotions that you're going through within that hour, 40 minutes. It must be... So as a conductor, I think my main sort of role is to uh, make people feel as secure as possible. Sometimes it's difficult because that music provokes you to be everything else but secure. And uh, you have to be so uh, um, uh, unpredictable in, in, in your emotions because sometimes, you know, you can plan something but then when you're actually acting and performing, you have to be uh, very, very crazy in, in, in the way how 
how you um, sort of tell the story, really. I mean, from what both of you are saying, it sounds like quite a, quite a dangerous work of art to be participating is, in. I mean, it is dangerous, but with, with Strauss, it's always the, the, the question, is he a traditional composer or is he modernist? That question, which I think has no answer, because um, in... Um, in, in, his, in, his, in the structure of the piece, it's absolutely clear that he's, uh, he's, uh, he's not a modernist because he, the, the, how he actually puts the structure together tells us that, um, that he is very, very careful in balancing the beginning with the end, and the, so he's very much so quite traditional, quite traditional. Yes, in, in, in the ways how he's balancing the, the things. But in the musical language, uh, and in, in the, the orchestration and how he treats the, the vocal line and the orchestra with it, uh, it's, it's, it's very provocative in a way. I hear um, extreme romanticism. Would that, be, would that be fair to describe that musical language as extreme romanticism? I hear complexity well, and sort of I, a really sort of tortured I intensity. Say it's, an, it's a romantic <coughs> opera. No, I mean, uh, not really. I mean, I, not really. It's... it's um, I mean, he comes from, from. Um, I mean, there is a there, there is a link with, with Wagner and there is a link with Beethoven, of course, with, with Strauss. But um, he's no, I don't. I don't think he. It, it's, it's a romantic piece of music at all. How would you describe that that musical language? Um, he's he's really he's pushing things on the limit. He's searching. He's searching for a new for a new language. You know, he's searching. It's. It, I think it's a real. You know, it's a real piece of theatre, and he's trying to find the language that reflects this story. He's really attached to the to the actual story and the synopsis. So, his when I when I hear it as I did on the way in this morning, I heard a sort of a, an instability. That was the word that came to mind. What, whatever I heard, I heard some kind of musical instability that was sort of stitched all the way through it. Is that? I think you're right because the whole piece is, you know, it's about unstable people. Um, and I think the thing when you when you perform this is that you learn it, you learn it, you learn it, and you have to spend hours, you know, getting the pitches right because it's tricky, and then you have to forget that you've ever learned it because it's actually. I would say more than anything else I've ever done anyway, for even more than Brunhilde or Isolde or even Zalome, uh, it's, it's an experience. You live it. So the first performance we do might be completely different from the second performance we do because... Can't it can't do two performances no. which, which are no. similar. No. And bend, or how we feel on the day and how, the, how we sort of react from... From what we hear, when you when you describe that, because I, I I was struck by the complexity of melodic lines and what impact that would have on you as a performer having to to learn that. Um, <clears throat> that makes me think that actually you're having to go through some kind of almost trust exercise with yourself if you've if you've if you've learned that role or that melodic line over and over again because the the detail in it demands it so, then there has surely got to be a moment when you're stepping on stage where you think, <gasps> really hope I remember it. Uh, and that's a, that's a trust. Is that a, well? I think I think you have to you know you have to prepare it so well that that feeling never comes because you can't have that feeling in this piece. There's too much else to think about. You've got to be rock solid, absolutely rock solid, and then you've got to almost do it like like a jazz, 
piece. You've got to improvise it. You've got to like, like you're constantly improvising. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Is that how you is that how you approach it as a conductor? When you talk about supporting and, and now you... Well, I mean, the writing is so uh, extreme. And, and uh, so I think my approach in this particular case would be to try and bring as much stability as I can in uh, to, to sort of be, um, be one element that people can rely on. Because everything else in this music is very unreliable and and and, 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 and it develops uh, and and goes ups and uh, ups and downs. So so people need to feel that there, there is somebody who is who is actually there. Uh, There's a fire alarm. <laughs> I'm sure it's just a test. <laughs> it's a test. How exciting! I've never recorded a podcast with a fire alarm in it. We'll keep it in. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I have to be the one that actually helps people to bring this together and, and gives them freedom to, to play and perform and forget about the technical aspect of the music. What draws you to the work if you've not conducted it? <laughs> okay. Uh, what draws you to the work? If you've not conducted it before, it, it, it strikes me as an outsider, as a, as a massive, as a, as a as risky business. What, what, what do you, what attracts you to it? Well, all we do is risky business. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not very high. <laughs> <laughs> well, Beethoven is also risky in yes, a different yes, way. But, yeah, but... Um, no, I think, I think it's, it's just making something together with, uh, with, uh, with human... Emotions and and um, you know it's interesting that the librettist uh, Hofmannsthal he said that he found uh, actually that his the texts that he wrote they work better with the music so that that means that music brings something extra to the to the to the to the meaning and when you are actually talking about something and you have music with it that gives you another level. Of of, um, of emotional sort of fulfillment. It truly is music theatre in that respect, then. Yes, it's mu it's it's not theatre. It's 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 an opera. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you did say you did say that it was theatre, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, but it okay. is. A, but in in I mean, of course yeah. it's music theatre. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but also it's not theatre. It's not like You're it's not like Donizetti, no. where you know there's an aria. And you sing about one emotion in one aria for four pages, and then the next guy comes on and sings about his emotion, and then you get together and sing a couple of aria. This is worked through; it's through composed, so it, the story just carries on. There's no kind of there are no moments when it stops for a showpiece. No, no. In the in the you know in that style of, of sort of 19th century Italian opera, this is once it starts. There's no there's no moments of reflection or commenting. It just carries on. It's the story. It's straight through. Oh, sorry. Um, what first attracted you to playing the role? Oh well, why wouldn't you want to play this person? Well, yeah, no, I know, you know. that. Yeah. <laughs> but but when, when did you you know when did you think? I was I, asked, want that. I was asked to do it, um, and to be honest with you, it was something that I hadn't had on my wish list. I mean, I was just starting to sing 
Isolde, Brunhilde, this kind of thing. And somebody heard me, Bent Lerber from Opera Frankfurt, heard me singing Isolde, and he said, I'm, I'm doing Electra. He was running Brussels at the time. I'm doing Electra. I want you to come and do two or three performances at the end of the run. And I thought, well, okay. So it was great because it was just, you know, tucked away at the end of the run. And had it been a disaster, very was few it, people was would it, have known. Was, <laughs> uh, I don't believe that it would have been a disaster. Um, was it a daunting invitation? Yes. I remember, because a lot, you can see the score, singers tend to underline their roles. And I remember doing this um, with the yellow pen and getting halfway through and thinking, this yellow pen's going to run out. So the yellow pen, actually, in the score that you're flicking through now, you mean the highlighted line? Is Electra. Is, is you having highlighted it for the yes. first performance? Yeah, and it, you, know, you, you know, you sit there before you sing a note and you go through it and put your, and it just got more and more and more yellow. And, you know, never stops. Never stops, never stops, never stops. I love the fact, I have to say, in a slightly nerdy way, I love the fact that you are still using the same score. Oh, God, I, this goes with me. <laughs> she says, grabbing this, it and no, holding it. This, this has gone with me in hand luggage. I don't care if I lose all my clothes, but if I lose this, I'm, I, you know, this... And it's a gorgeous copy. Do you remember where you purchased that, I please, Susan? Bo- in, um, I bought it from Boozy and Hawks, quick advert, in September 2001. It's a gorgeous cover. Mm. Yeah. And it's part of you. It is. Uh, what was the first performance like? For you? Do you recall that first performance? I can't, you know, I can't... All I remember was going on and thinking... Just let me get through to the end of it. Let me get through to the end of it and still be able to speak. And I could. And I remember, I remember the next day more because I couldn't get out of bed. And, you know, I thought, God, what's the matter with me? Just my mind was, was dead, you know. And it I took me... So there was a men- mental exhaustion. Mental exhaustion. and fi- Because she's running around the whole night as well. You know, she's a crazy, very active character. And that as well, physically tiring. And it took me about three or four productions to be able to get up the next day and think I can actually function today <laughs> in some way. Not a lot, but, mm. but you know, the first few times, I had to have a whole day just reading a book or sleeping. It was, wow. yeah. Uh, now, that you pl- <clears throat> now that you're playing Clytemnestra, surprisingly difficult word to get used to, uh, name even, do you look on Electra differently? Do you see the character Electra differently now? Well, yes, but I mean, in a way, it, it's it's really fun to be the mum now because <laughs> you know I've stood so many times and heard this woman berate me, and now it's my turn. You know, um, yeah, it's. I just it, wonder whether something has changed. Is it, obviously, something has changed. So that you're playing a different role, but yeah. but do you do you look on that character differently or feel differently now that you? Well, yes. I mean, I can, I look at her from from Clytemnestra's point of view, which is there's a desperation in her to find out. She needs information from this creature who won't give it to her, and she's stubborn and she gets very frustrated by her and angry with her. Um, and you know, when you're a lecturer, you're just very cool and sort of saying, well. You should know what to do, Mum. You know, uh, so it, it's a different. It's definitely you see her in a different light. I wanted to ask you both about something which may at first seem like a bit of a non sequitur, but uh, I've been reading. I do a lot of work with uh, staff members in organisations, working with them to increase their resilience, their workplace resilience, um, uh, and sort of challenging them, pushing them to to go a little bit further. And actually, something emerges as a result of us talking about this particular work and your experiences and. Uh, 
and I'm interested in understanding how you approach resilience. How have you, how have you developed your resilience over the years in your work? Because I imagine that that's something that the conductors don't necessarily talk about. Well, you know, for me, um, as for for all of us, there is a lot of routine in life. Uh, you you face similar situations. Um, similar sort of rehearsal periods for pieces and when you prepare and then when you have to conduct or sing um, but but my uh, I always try to um, to imagine that I have never done this before and, and this is my very first look at the piece and, and, and this is which in this case is true <laughs> <laughs> how handy <laughs> Uh, so, so I try to um, to always be as fresh as I can when I look uh, at a piece uh, like that. I mean, it's I mean the piece is in some ways similar to Salome, which I have done before. So um, I can sort of um, imagine how it, how it will feel. So I'm I, I know what to prepare myself for. And what are you preparing? I mean, I realise that you are preparing what's in the score, but mentally, what are you preparing yourself for? That's what I'm trying to get at. Um, I'm, I'm preparing myself uh, for a state of mind where I can um, actually be useful to, to everybody involved in the music making, people who are actually singing or playing. I, I would like to ideally be somebody who is encouraging but giving the security at the same time. So when they need my encouragement, I'm there. And then when, when they need help, I'm there also. Does that differ from an orchestral concert? Are you having to do more of that in, in an opera or are you doing the same across all of your performances? No, it's, it's, it's similar, but it's not the same. Um, it's, it's always... Um, I, could, I guess I could say harder to, to have singers uh, because you're really... Are you being diplomatic? Getting, getting, no, no, I'm <laughs> just trying... We have a singer here. No, no, I'm just trying to uh, uh, formulate it mm. in the right way uh, because when singers are involved, you're dealing somehow more with, uh, with, um, with, with personal emotions of people, with musicians as well, uh, um, but because they don't speak to you necessarily in the performance and you, you don't hear their voices, uh, you don't sometimes don't know what they think, you can guess. Um, with, with singers, it's, it, it's, it's always very direct and, and very deep, deep sort of communication on stage. You can't cheat somehow. It's, diff- it's, it's, it's easier to cheat with the symphony orchestra. <laughs> I'm never cheating. No, no, no. no I'm but, sure you're a professional. Uh, you but but I, it's not the, the, probably not the right word to say cheat, but to hide yourself. There are no bar- it strikes me there are no barriers because between... The voice is the, in- is the instrument, yeah. is in the person. You, you can hide yourself more when you conduct symphony orchestra and sort of let them just do it and, and, and be there. But does that, does, that create singers, a, no. does that create a bigger challenge for you? Yes. Yes. And uh, if singers have to move, that's another element that is added to this already quite... And for those not involved in the rehearsal experience or who wouldn't 
have seen a production go from um, piano rehearsal to stage rehearsal, how much time do you have as a conductor in order to cover over those particular challenges in terms of sort of weeks? Well, it depends. I mean, in some uh, in some situations you have a lot of time, and and uh, you need to structure it in in in, a, in the right way so the people still feel fresh and not they're not. Uh, I mean, the work is still sort of. It's not going to happen in the rehearsals. What you don't want as a conductor is when people sort of uh, in, involve themselves so much in the rehearsals they've got nothing left for the mm. performance. This is a danger, especially I find sometimes in, in, in German houses where you have so much rehearsal time that it's very difficult to keep things alive for the performance. And who is making the decision about when to <coughs> not give too much? That's not a very well-phrased question. Is that a singer saying in a rehearsal... I'm not going to go any further, well, or is it the experience? I think it's personal experience of every uh, every performer. Some people, some people like to save and save and save, and then it comes out in the show. For me personally, I like to to find it, and I I like to know that I've got it there. And then you know you do it so many times, and then you think, okay, now we know what each other's doing. We're all good. We know what we're looking for, and then boom, the magic happens on the night, which is ex exciting. Uh, do you understand the, the angle that I'm taking around the resilience question? I wonder whether maybe it's, a, uh, it's an easier question for you to explore um, in terms of... I suppose I'm interested in the, in the emotional impact. You sort of touched mm. on that earlier on. How do, you, how do you maintain a resilience doing a role which is so emotionally demanding? Well, I think in any with any role, but particularly with say a role like Electra, I think you've you've got to be you've got to be kind to yourself in a way and say, you know, I'm not a machine, and if I'm doing eight performances in a run, there'll be some that are fine, and there'll be some which will be less fine, and that's not because you're not trying hard; it's just because of how you are, and because your voice is inside your body. You know, whatever else is going on in your life can often impact, in, you know, on your voice. So I think you've first of all got to give yourself a, a break and say, you know, so long as I know that every time I go out there, I'm doing absolutely my 100, 250% best, then what the result is, is anybody's guess. I mean, you know, you can't control that. And I think you, you can't also control what happens around you. Sometimes, you know, a colleague may not have a great night and then you, you're having to think about how do you support them through scenes or, you know, is this guy's voice going to last out or whatever it is, you know, and that, that makes, you, makes your brain work in different places. So I think, you've, you know, mentally you've got, you, you've got to acknowledge that nobody's perfect. And that did you always... Uh, that sounds an awful question to ask, actually, but did you, did you always know that or is that something that you've learned throughout those techniques... Is that something that you've learned throughout your career? I think I've learned it as I've gone along. I think at the beginning, you know, I used to come off stage and if I'd not held a note for three beats, I would be beating myself up in the wings, you know, and going, why didn't I do that? I could do it in the rehearsals, you know. And then you just think, well, actually, why didn't, oh, why didn't you do it? Because, because the book fell off the table and hit your foot or whatever it was, and some crazy thing happens, or the light burst, the light bulb went in the, in the, in the scenery, you know, on, on set. Sort of all sorts of things can affect you, and I think that doesn't mean to say you don't try, but it's you just you just have to be just be kind to yourself. That, that that kindness thing was that something which was encouraged by others, or was it something that you sort of over time you developed 
I and understand. It's a mixture of both, really, because I think you know, coaches and teachers often say, "Well, you know, nobody knew." Nobody heard it. Why are you? You know, sometimes you get a little bit of a crackle or something, but sometimes only you feel it and it doesn't come out. But you come off stage and you might have sung the whole piece brilliantly and you say, What about that note? There was. And they go, Well, we never even heard it. And you spent the rest of the show thinking, Oh, I really messed that up. So I think you've got to learn to just calm down. That sounds like a lot of self-regulation, actually, yeah. of the kind that, that the kind of resilience that actually I don't have to, I don't experience on a day-to-day basis, which is why I was asking the question. Really, yeah, it's a mixture of self-regulation and then knowing the moment when you should just, just forget for it, it all, and yeah. because you don't want, as 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 a listener, as an audience member, you don't want to see people who are control. I mean, trying to control themselves mm. all the time, yeah. and it's it's the moments when people go wild. Uh, but you have to go through the control f- sort of... Yes, and then step back. And then when yes. you have gone through this and then you're letting yourself go, I think this is, this, this is what makes a great singer... The difference between a great singer and just a singer is a great singer, after having uh, gone through the preparation and, co- and this control sort of thing, they, they have that one or 10% of left and then they know how when to switch switch it on and and this is this golden sort of material that is not prepared either that 10 percent is 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 adrenaline and it's excitement and and you know things happen you think i never did that in the rehearsal but it's great and and you know sometimes you never capture it again you know you'll get one show when everything works or there's some something really exciting happens you really feel like you're flying and uh, you know, that's you that's a thrill. You can't, you can't get to this ten percent without having no. passed the nine ninety. <laughs> it sounds as though actually you're having to be comfortable with the notion of letting things go, whether mm. they're good or bad. But you can't let things go. You can't let anything go if you haven't prepared. Yes. Yeah, I'm not suggesting yeah. for a moment that you no, haven't no. prepared. <laughs> no, but no, no. But I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, you don't get that sense of freedom and allowing yourself to fly mm. if you're thinking, what's the next note. What's the next phrase? How many beats are in this bar? You have to, that has to be sort of default happening almost by autopilot, and the rest of it is just whatever performing is. I don't know what that... It's quality of learning something and being perfectionist up to the last uh, sort of detail and, and trying to be as, as much perfectionist as you can in a wild way. But then... And finding a moment when you actually forget it all. Yeah, I agree. I you know, agree. you like you know, you, you try to control everything, and then there is a moment you say, "No, now I don't want to hear anything about it. It's gone. I'm just only concentrating on something else." It's wow. The quali- so I mean, I have to, I have to say, I find so, it terrifying. But and <laughs> oh, we do. Well, and I admire that. Right. Yes. Okay. You're both really scary people. Now. Not. <laughs> And not many people uh, can actually have those both qualities. Some people are are stuck in the perfectionist uh, sort of area, and um, and some people want uh, to be great all the time, and they and then they pass through the perfectionist, and that doesn't work. I hear humility in uh, everything that you're both saying about your art. And it's not a contrived humility. I hear a sort of a, we do this, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but, you know, and we let it all go. Do, yeah, and do how lucky are we? How lucky are we to do this? 
you know, it's fantastic. And to, when I first started singing Electra in 2002, I never thought that in 2020 I would be singing Clytemnestra, you know. Um, so it, it's a kind well, it's of... Well, it's got round. <laughs> <laughs> it's a kind of magical mystery tour. You don't know what's going to happen next in, in this job, and it's, that's what's so exciting about it, and that's why you keep on you know you want to do it because it's you never know what's around the corner i didn't start out thinking i was going to sing this repertoire i was singing pamina when i was 24 you know i had no idea i didn't even know what this was you know so you have no idea no but pamina at the time felt yeah, no, like electra know, know. you know it was like my god this, this is the biggest thing in my life you know it's 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 all it's just a journey of excitement i think from beginning to end You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, available on Spotify and Audioboom. To get in touch, please tweet at Thoroughly Good. You can also follow Thoroughly Good on Facebook and read the blog at thoroughlygood.me.